Welcome to the Homeschool High School podcast, brought to you by SevenSistersHomeschool.com and the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network. I'm Vicki, and I am on my own today, but I'm here because I want to talk about one of my favorite, favorite authors and why your homeschooler should study him over time. So anybody who knows me knows that my very favorite author is C.S. Lewis and how we got this far in the recordings over all these years of the Homeschool High School podcast and never once had a whole episode about C.S. Lewis. I have no idea. But anyway, we are going to talk about why your homeschool high schooler should do some C.S. Lewis studies in high school. So let's just get started. Your teens should study C.S. Lewis because it's fun. I mean, really. I mean, do you remember like reading the Chronicles of Narnia to the kids when they were young? And, you know, they're, they're just entranced by the stories. And, you know, when you're reading them over, you're probably enjoying them almost as much or even more than the kids. You know, C.S. Lewis said that a book that is only good for children and not adults reading that child's book isn't really a good book. You know, a adult should be able to read a, a young person's book and enjoy it just as much as the kids, maybe on a more, um, you know, deep level. But a kid's book just doesn't grow old. So, you know, C.S. Lewis in high school, um, especially like the Chronicles of Narnia, can be revisited at a more adult level than when they read the Narnia Chronicles when they were kids. Then they can go on after starting with the fun things like the Chronicles of Narnia and get involved with reading like the screw tape letters, which helps them to kind of perspective take on, you know, why the devil's such a loser. And then really highly recommend to teens who want to, to develop those thinking skills to finish up with the space trilogy because that is some deep reading with a lot of life meaning in those books. So anyway, those are all fun, but they're also deep. So, you know, one reason we want to teach C.S. Lewis is to teach kids how to think and how to read deeply. So, okay, let's go back to the Chronicles of Narnia, for instance, okay? So these are kids' books. They're, they're written on a level that children can read and understand. And so they can, they can get through the story and love the stories and feel inspired. And they can even catch some of the early symbolism in the book. Like, you know, everybody knows that Aslan is a symbol for Christ. And that's, that's easy enough. And they know in the Chronicles of Narnia, in the, the first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that this sacrifice of Aslan for Edmund, you know, he, he gave up his life for the sins of another and then was resurrected is, of course, a picture of Christ. And so that's, you know, even young kids can pick up that kind of symbolism. And so what Lewis does is introduce symbolism to kids and get them thinking about, you know, looking for deeper meanings in a story. So as teens go back and read the Chronicles of Narnia, if they have a guide to walk them through the stories, they will find some amazing symbolism in the books. So one reason to teach teens C.S. Lewis is to teach them about symbolism. With symbolism, you take 
themes and integrate them into a story, but there's not a tie, you know, it's not chained to a one-to-one correlation. You see ideas embedded in the stories that uh, don't need to teach deep theological concepts. And then those that are dropped in there and just kind of left, you know, as little, little, little treats that are there to teach you something, but not to be carried through the story. So it's not an allegory. C.S. Lewis uses symbolism. And a lot of the symbolism that Lewis uses are theologic concepts, but also concepts that go back to like old Greek philosophy. And so kids get, you know, theological concepts like, you know, Aslan and the symbols of of redemption that are all through the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. But they are also deep philosophic concepts. So even at the, the first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you will see the introduction of the ideas of Plato. You know, Plato himself talks about form and symbolism, that that there are ideas of things that are realer than the things that we have here in this world. And those are those are in form and concept um, that come from heaven. So we'll, we can go into that more. Another symbolism, you know, talking about the old philosophers is in the silver chair. Uh, so if you guys remember the prince really and has been held captive down in the cave and he is rescued and brought out of the cave. So the symbolism embedded through that story is from the Plato's story of the cave. And if, you know, a lot of you guys know the story, but in case you don't, I'm kind of going to give you my version of it. Plato's cave is the story of a person in a group of captives. They're all chained together in a cave facing the back wall And all they can do is look right in front of them and just see the wall of the cave. And behind them is a fire and people walking back in front of this big bonfire and the fire casts a shadow of their captors moving back and forth on the cave wall. So the captives have only ever experienced looking at that back wall. And they only see the shadows. And so they think the shadows are their reality because that's all they know. And so finally one escapes and gets out into the sunlight and he sees the the sun and the farms and the trees and the birds. And he's so excited. He runs back into the cave and, you know, tells the other captives about it. And in different versions of the story, some of them just get so mad they, they kill him because like, how dare you tell us this? Reality is these shadows here. And some, if they go out of the cave and they look around, it takes a while for their eyes to adjust. And they see finally the, the shapes come to life and they see the reality of the true world out there. And that's what, you know, is integrated into the silver chair as the kids come out of the cave with the prince. It takes a while to adjust the, their eyes and see the, the party that's going on. They're dancing and throwing snowballs and all. And so the, you know, C.S. Lewis again points to Plato because Plato is teaching them about understanding reality to, to come out of the darkness of being bound by lies and to allow your eyes to adjust to the truth of God's freedom. And so they have, you know, Plato integrated into the stories in a symbolic way. So it's, it's not an allegory. The whole story isn't about Plato's gave. It's, this is a, you know, a part of it. Um, C.S. Lewis also teaches some, some very deep concepts that you will see in the, some of the more mystical 
Christian writers, and also from his friend J.R.R. Tolkien. So one of the concepts is the numinous. He gets that word from um, Tolkien, and it, it means that awesome feeling when you kind of experience God's presence. You can almost imagine a light and a peace and a want to stay there kind of feeling. And uh, so he describes a, a numinous scene in the book Prince Caspian. So if you can remember back to that book, the kids and the dwarf are heading, you know, to help rescue Prince Caspian and the Narnians. And they're going through the woods and it's nighttime and they had to camp out because they can't travel in the dark and Lucy can't sleep. And she starts hearing a sound, a rustling and, and a light. And she kind of goes toward it a little bit into the woods. And all of a sudden, it's as if the trees are moving and dancing and there's light filtering down and the stars and she feels warm all over and very, very special and holy feeling inside of her. And then she sees Aslan. That's a numinous moment. C.S. Lewis integrated it into the story. And he didn't tell the kids, hey, kids, this is a numinous moment. He just puts it there. And so children can read it and go, oh, that's a nice moment. But, you know, for adults and teens who know about the numinous, they can go like, oh, my goodness, Lewis is describing a, a numinous moment. He does this also with the concept of Zenzut. So Zenzut, forgive my German, is a German concept for longing. It's for a longing for something that you don't have. You're not quite sure what it is, but you need it. You want it. You, you're, you're, you've got this ache and a, a joyful ache inside you. And, you know, when we Christians, we think about heaven. Sometimes we get this longing for that. Lewis talked about it when he was a little kid. He and his brother would play a lot in their house that was within eyesight of some mountains that looked kind of purple off in the distance. And it was so beautiful um, that one time as a little boy, he looked out at the mountains and felt a deep longing. And so that was his first moment of Zenzut. But he, you know, he integrates Zenzut, not the word, the concept into the story through symbolism. And what you'll see is here and there, you will see a blue flower described just as a scene. She dropped by, you know, saw the blue flowers, um, shows up in the space trilogy also. And that any time, you see the blue flower, any blue flower pop up, you will also know that there is a moment of longing, a Zenzut moment coming about. And uh, that comes from German literature and art that, from what I understand, I'm not a great art historian, but um, that if you see a little blue flower in a painting, that that's calling a Zenzut moment a longing of some kind. So for us Christians, we long for heaven. We long to be closer to God. So the, the blue flower means that longing. So that that's a very special thing to me because we talked about it a lot the last time that I taught the, um, the our local homeschool high schoolers. We did a whole year of C.S. Lewis and we talked about that blue flower. And um, so here and there, once in a while, those, those kids who are now adults and have kids of their own, um, on Facebook will send me a message with pictures of blue flowers. And they saw, oh, I saw these blue flowers and I thought of C.S. Lewis. So anyway, um, so teens should study C.S. Lewis because they learn these really special things that in the long run draw them toward God 
in ways that are deep and and spiritual. Like you can sometimes get closer to God, more more open to His work through the ideas of symbolism. If uh, if that makes any sense to you. All right. So all right, rabbit trail. How do you get hold of all this symbolism? Like shameless plug. Go to sevensistershomeschool.com and we have study guides for each of the Chronicles of Narnia, or you could get the whole set, um, Screw Tape Letters and the Space Trilogy, all three books. So you can get them individually or in a, in a group. You know, what we do is we coach the kids through the symbolism and the concepts and, uh, you know, understanding C.S. Lewis's life and where he comes from and all that. And it guides the kids so that by the time they finish the Chronicles of Narnia and then they add screw tape letters and then they add the space trilogy, they are doing some very deep reading. And as you know, C.S. Lewis liked to talk about good readers. You know, good readers are are developing part of their character. They're learning to be more of themselves as they immerse themselves in a, a book. Um, and so that's you know, like uh, reading reading good literature and enjoying it makes you good readers. Reading it deeply makes you good readers. So anyway, the study guides are are there to help the teens develop those, like kind of discover and climb into C.S. Lewis's shoes and go so step by step through each study guide until they are really thinking kids, you know, by the time they finish um, Narnia and then get through the space trilogy and they've got some real, you know, thinking going on. Um, so the, the um, one of the things Lewis talks about, you know, so one reason to study him is to understand what myth is there for. One of the things Lewis said is that that there are the world is full of mythology. Every culture has its mythology and its fairy tales. And all of those are there to point us in a direction towards the true myth is how Lewis talks about it. Most cultures will have like a flood story that points toward the true story of Noah's Ark and God's redemption. So all going towards God's redemption. And, and a lot of times in mythology through all the different cultures, you will see a sacrificial hero. And all of those point towards Christ, who is the true sacrificial hero. You know, so, so kids learn from other mythologies, not that those mythologies are the truth. They're pointing towards the truth. And so they can learn from the symbolism there. So a lot of the space trilogy, you're catching some symbolism from, from Greek mythology, pointing us towards God and towards Christ. So the, the space trilogy is more heavy reading. And uh, so sometimes we will hold on to the space trilogy, you know, do Narnia earlier. And then, um, you know, in junior or senior years, uh, they will work on uh, the space trilogy and then screw tape letters, everybody, everybody at some point should read that because it is such a classic. If you're not familiar with it, it's it's the diary of a a demon and the guy he's assigned to had the demon is learning from his uncle demon how to be a good demon. And so everything is kind of flipped backwards, you know, because um we're we're seeing things from the the the, the dark side in an almost kind of humorous way. So it it teaches us to not be afraid of the wiles of the devil, but to develop such deep trust in God 
who is the God of the universe and not Satan is not the God of the universe. So anyway, screw tape letters um, really helps build that for teens is the ability to, to deepen that trust in God. And if you want a real treat, if you can find the um, audiobook of John Cleese reading Screw Tape Letters. It is the best thing ever. So, um, you know, a lot of these books have, um, have audio versions of them. I'm a big fan of the Narnia series that has all the different British actors uh, reading each book. And uh, so the, those are good. But also just reading the book in paper copy is very, very valuable, especially Narnia. If, if Space Trilogy gets too heavy for teens, let them listen to the audiobook because they're, they are, are written for adults. And uh, Lewis is assuming his audience is very intelligent. And we assume our kids are intelligent too, so they can do it. But the audiobooks are, are delightful um, when you get a chance to listen to those. So anyway, teens should read Lewis and do a whole study of Lewis to, to learn about symbolism and about theology and about philosophy and about character and heroism and sacrifice and joy and numinous and all the things. So I highly, highly, highly recommend not, not letting the kids graduate before they at least get Narnia done. But if they can do Narnia and screw tape and the space trilogy, it will be really good for their developmental process. Okay. All right. So you can visit sevensistershomeschool.com and get our study guides that will coach kids through all of those special things. And, uh, and it's kind of fun to do together as, you know, parent and teen, but teens can handle it on their own. And boy, do we have a blast doing these together in co-op and our group classes because uh, it is such good discussion material, just absolutely d delightful discussion material. Um, so I'll put links to all those in, in the show notes. And I just got all kind of posts giving you ideas on what to do with it. So I hope you guys will, will engage in some C.S. Lewis and uh, let your kids uh, really discover a new level of Lewis in their lives. Okay. All right. Well, that's enough. Hey, hey, this has been the Homeschool High School podcast brought to you by SevenSistersHomeschool.com and the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network. And I want to give a special thanks because I keep forgetting to do this and it's it's silly to not do it. Is our editor for the, the podcast episodes is my son, Seth Tillman. And Seth is a patient saintly um, editor because his mom is a digital immigrant and oh my goodness, the things that she puts him through. So he, he does our editing in his, mostly in the summertime because he's a elementary music teacher, like, you know, that might, the baby of the families grown in as a teacher, but he makes time during his summers and in his breaks and he does a slew of editing for us. So, you know, it's downright heroic. Some of the things, oh my goodness, the things that kids had to piece together for me. So, and sometimes what you'll see is he, um, he, he does a humorous payback and puts outtakes at the end of an episode. So, you know, stay past the outro matter. And uh, sometimes you will hear some silly things going on. So anyway, also join our Facebook group, uh, Seven Sisters Homeschool. It's all one word because you can share ideas and uh, ask questions. And it's just, you know, all of our seventh sisters, all of us all together. And uh, it's, it's a good place to be. 
All right. Well, thanks for joining us and we will see you all next week.